gives faith. Are you listening to me? Amen. Healing is always God's will for the sick. Always God's will for the sick. See, that's where the primary hang-up is. People are not sure that their healing is God's will. You know, they've heard all kinds of stuff. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Maybe this sickness is my own thorn in the flesh. For your information, yes, Paul did have a thorn in the flesh, but Paul's thorn in the flesh was in sickness. Paul couldn't have been sick. That fellow, a man that he said in deaths often. No, Jesus died one time. The guy died often. Yeah, there was one time he was stoned and left for dead. Expert stoners. I mean experts. The same ones that stoned Stephen. Expert stoners. They stoned him. What did he do? He just picked up his body, shook himself and went back to the same place. Amen. Strong man. Full of life. He went to the island of Melita. They went to bring the sick. Now, if like some theologians want us to believe he had ophthalmia, his eye was dripping out pus, will you go bring your sick people? You won't. Someone wants to give me a shirt. I'll look at the one he's wearing. Isn't it? Yeah, Paul wasn't sick. You know, there are sometimes folks say, well, there was that man in John 9. The disciples asked Jesus, who did sin that he was born blind? Number one, that's a daft question. Somebody was born blind. You are saying, who did sin? Was he the one that sinned or his parents? Ah, ah, religion, think now. Eh? He was born blind. When did he sin? In the womb? But religion, actually. You know, to listen to some people, you think Jesus not only took away our sins, he took away our brains too. You know, who did sin? Was he the one that sinned or experienced? Now, Jesus now res responds, neither did he sin, nor his parents sin, but I must do the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night come and when no one can walk. And then some people conclude from that, yes, the man was born blind so that God could heal him. That can't be true. That doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible. Amen. Are you listening? Now, I can tell you this, that the New Testament originally wasn't punctuated. The translators punctuated it how they felt it should be punctuated to give it meaning. In that place, the King James Version mispunctuated it. I can tell you that for a fact. Why? Because I know the rest of the Bible. Who did sin that he was born blind? Was he he or his parents? Jesus responds, neither had he sinned nor his parents sinned. Full stop. That's where the sentence should stop. Then another sentence should now have started, but that the works of him that sent me should be made manifest. I must do the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can walk. So that man wasn't born blind so that God could heal him. If God is that kind of a God, I'd rather serve the devil than serve him. Are you listening to me? Who will let somebody not have a childhood of 20 years just because he wants to show he has power? That's mean. And I don't mind telling you, God isn't mean. You see, sometimes there are some of these things at the backs of people's minds that hinder them from seeing that their healing is God's will. And then some people will tell you that, you know, this sickness is God's way of chastening me. Yes, I know the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. But it doesn't say, whom the Lord loveth, he maketh sick. Sickness isn't God's way of chastening you. Amen. How does God chasten us? Well, will you go to your child's school and say, this is my rotty, she's, she's a bad girl. She doesn't pay attention. You tell the teacher. When you're teaching, and Ronti is not paying attention. You see, in this syringe, I've put some HIV AIDS virus inside this, inside this water. Just inject some of it into her. Teach her a lesson and chase her. Will you do that? You know? Or you say, this Femi, this Femi of a boy, I don't know what's the matter with him. Hmm? When you tell him something, he will do the opposite. You tell the teacher, break his leg. Break his leg. Will you do that? If God was that kind of a God, he would have gone into prison for child abuse if he was living in our day. Listen, he's not that kind of a God. He's a father God. He's a good God. Amen. See, this subject, it's important we get a hold of it. Why? You say, but I'm not sick. Yeah. You don't want to wait till you're sick to learn about healing. Amen. And besides, you see, in Proverbs 4, 20 to 22, the Bible says, my son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them. And their health, medicine, mape, that's a Hebrew word, to all their flesh. God's word is medicine. Medical science is smart enough to know that prevention is better than cure. Yes, a lot of advances in curative medicine. But listen, there are a lot more advances in the area of preventive medicine. God's word is medicine. 
to cure you if you're sick. And it's also medicine, preventive medicine to keep you from getting sick. I haven't had a headache now in, in decades. Are you listening to me? I've forgotten what it is like to have malaria. I haven't needed to use a tablet in decades. I haven't needed it. Now, if I couldn't get healed any other way but by using drugs, I'll use drugs. I'm not opposed to drugs. It's not the devil that gave man that knowledge. God did. Are you listening? Proverbs chapter 18 verse 9 in the Amplified Bible. It says, he that does not use, the latter part of the verse, he that does not use his endeavors to heal himself is partner to him that commits suicide. So don't commit suicide. Don't kill yourself. You know, there was one guy got a hold of a message of mine. You know, in the King James, it, that's King James in the Amplified. Look it up in the Amplified. The last part of it in the Amplified says, he that doesn't use his, uh, all his endeavors to heal himself is partner to him that commits suicide. That's the way the Amplified puts Proverbs 18.9b. Amen. Well, he got a hold of a few messages of mine. He was endeavoring to believe God for his healing. His symptoms, yeah, see it there. His symptoms persisted. So somehow he got a hold of me on Facebook. And then he said, could he speak with me? I said, sure. Then we had a conversation. Then he told me how he had high blood pressure, how he had sugar diabetes, how he stopped his medication. But his blood pressure is rising. His sugar level is still rising. What should he do? I said, you know what? Before we continue talking, I want you to go and take your drugs right now because I don't want you to drop dead on me. You see, sometimes in some of those cases, the sickness might have gotten a head start on people's faith. Amen. And then different people are different levels of spiritual development. You know, what happens to people many times is this. They hear somebody else's testimony. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith, children of Israel, they pass through the red shells of a dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. They hear what somebody else did. But that other person had a revelation in his heart that he acted upon. Amen. Then they go and do what that other person did without knowing what that other person knew. And then what happens? They become a faith casualty. So don't do something stupid. If, you're, if it's a matter of life and death, in some of those cases, the drugs won't heal you. Neither will the drugs keep you from getting healed. But the drugs can keep you alive until your faith can take hold of your healing. You know, the Bible says in Colossians 3.16, the first part, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So there's being wise. Don't, 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 don't be stupid. Don't take what I'm saying to a ridiculous extreme. Are you listening to me? The thing is just this. Divine healing is in the Bible. Divine health is in the Bible. God's word is medicine. Amen. And I found that to be my experience. Amen. Because the word of God works. I used to be sick. I was so sick. Sick people called me sick. And believe me, that was pretty sick. But I found out something. Found out these truths. And they have made a big difference in my life. So first, it's always God's will for the It's a redemptive plan. Second, we said healing is always God's will for the sick because sickness and disease come from the devil. And God doesn't want us to have anything that's from the devil. If a thought came to your mind that you should, you know, I left my wallet somewhere. Well, I didn't, but I'm just giving an example. And you saw some dollars inside and the thought came to your mind, take that $100 bill, take that $100 bill. What will you do? You resist it, won't you? You won't go bragging on it. You know I was tempted to steal $100. You won't go behind the people and say, guess what, folks? I saw the $100 and I was so tempted to take it. In fact, I took it. Will you do that? You'll even feel ashamed to say that. Why? You will resist it, isn't it? Yeah. When sickness also comes, resist it. Stand against it. You know, some folks will say, well, you know, September is around the corner. Eh? Every September, you know, I must, to, I must be admitted. You know, <laughs> it is my yearly tradition. Shut up! Then people say that, ah, in the ember months, that there are special demons that suck blood. My friend, spirits don't understand time. They live in, they live in eternity. They, whether it's September, it is January, it makes no difference. There are no special demons for December. It's just that people travel more. That's just it. Time is our invention in the sense of the recording. We could just say this is January. And if we say this is January, then it's January. Yeah. It was us that started recording it the way we were recording it. The Hebrew months are not the way our English months are. Amen. 
sicknesses of the devil. And God doesn't want us to have anything that's of the devil. What are we to do with the devil's stuff? Resist them. Stand against them. Don't body up with it. Don't just fall like a pack of cards. Yakata. And the thing comes, you'll say, oh, I knew it. You know, I always catch a cold every time. Hey, you know, I always have malaria. Shut up! Don't say that. When the symptoms come, resist them. Tell the devil, Satan, this is from you. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to accept it. I stand against you in the name of Jesus. I'm like Wigglesworth. I have a message from heaven that won't leave you the way I met you. It'll either make you sad, it'll make you mad, or it'll make you glad. I want to make some of you mad today. I'm telling you, I want to make you mad. I want to get you angry. I want to get you mad enough to stand against that stuff. I want to kick some of you in the butt, spiritually speaking. Get you mad with that disease. Get you to take a stand against it. Then we can do something together and get rid of it. Well, third point that I made was this, that God not only provided healing under the old covenant, he has also provided healing under the new covenant. We saw several scriptures. Exodus 15, 26. Exodus 23, 25 and 26. Deuteronomy 7, 13 to 15. Psalm 103, verses 105. Psalm 105, verse 37. Psalm 107, 17 to 20. James 5, 14 and 15. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. Ephesians 1, 3. Hebrews 8, 6. Listen, we're in a better covenant established on better promises. If God did not want his servant sick, he doesn't want his children sick. Amen. Remember in Matthew 15, 21 to 28, the Bible says then, Jesus departed thence to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, there came a woman of Canaan out of the same coast. Besought him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. The Bible says, But well, he answered her not a word. His disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cried after us. And he said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and besought him, saying, Lord, help me. He said, it's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. She said, truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Jesus answered and saith unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Listen, if there was enough power in the crumb to have gotten a dog healed, how much more the sons who are seated at the table and they have the bread... Are you listening? She was outside the covenant. She was a dog. Jesus wasn't being abusive. He was being descriptive. See, when the Bible says in Philippians 3, beware of dogs, I think God was talking about German shepherds, Rottweilers. You know, no. And a dog is an unclean animal. Those outside of the covenant are unclean in that sense. So that's who he was referring to. When he said it's not proper to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs, a lady in essence said, listen, I'm a dog, I'm a bat, I'm a rat, I'm a cat, whatever I am. Listen, I'm here in faith and I'm not going to be denied. Amen. If somebody outside the covenant could exhibit such faith, how much you, that you're a faith child of the faith God? That you've got the measure of the God kind of faith in your spirit. You're in the covenant, a better one. How much more can you walk in health? Amen. See, God wants us healthy. God wants us healthy. The greatest testimonies I get, and I get them all the time, when I teach this course, Christ the Healer, I meet people who tell me, well, it's been two years since I sat in that course, I've been healthy since. Well, it's been four years since I sat in that course, I've been healthy since. Yes, those are the kind of testimonies I want to hear. And that's the high spot of this. That's where we are going, so that you can get healed, stay healthy, and then start getting other people healed. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Well, the fourth thing is this. God has provided various methods whereby healing can be obtained. God has provided various methods whereby healing can be obtained. See, being the kind of father he is, he wants you healed no matter what. So regardless of where you are at in your faith, there's always somewhere you can hook up on. There's some level you can receive on. So he has provided different methods whereby healing can be obtained. Now, what are some of these methods? Number one, asking in the name of Jesus. Asking in the name of Jesus. In John 14, verses 13 and 14, 
Jesus said, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. You see, that's not prayer. That's not prayer. Prayer based on legal grounds is addressed to the Father in the name of Jesus. But that's not prayer Jesus was talking about in John 14, 13 and 14. Incidentally, the word ask there happens to be the Greek word aitio. A-I-T-E-O. And aitio means to demand as due. To demand as your right or your privilege. So what is he saying? Listen, demand, whatever you demand as your right in my name, I will do it. Now, P.C. Nelson, Peter Christopher Nelson, outstanding Greek scholar, was with the Assemblies of God, outstanding. When he died, it was said, number one authority in the Greek language, Fort Worth, Texas, passes on. That's how the newspaper captured it, you know? So he was the number one authority in the world, in the Greek language, number two in the Hebrew. And he said this, you know? Someone asked him one time, how many languages do you know? He said, not any yet. Someone reframed it and said, how many languages can you read and write in? He said, 32. Well, that fellow has me beat by 32. Can hardly read and write in any. He was a scholar. That's the truth. Now, um, he said something that there are certain idiomatic expressions in the Greek that uh, the English language couldn't capture. He said, for instance, in this place, that the way it is literally in the Greek is this. If you will demand anything as your right or privilege in my name, even if I don't have it, I will make it for you. And that's how it really is. What's an example of this use of the name for healing? It's like Peter and John in Acts 3, going to prayer, and then they met that man by the gate beautiful. Notice, Peter did not pray. Peter just demanded. Now, who was he demanding the man's healing from? God? No, the devil. He just demanded that the man be healed. He demanded that the man walk. And the man was healed. Are you listening to me? So that's one way to take your healing. Just demand it. Just say, in the name of Jesus, I stand my ground. Satan, take your hands off my body. And that's it. See, the power is in the name. The authority is in the name. Anything Jesus can do, his name will do. Jesus is one with his name. He obtained that name by inheritance, by conquest, and by bestowal. And as the church, we have a legal right to the use of that name. It's not a matter of faith in that sense. As much as it's a matter of knowing our rights and privileges in Christ. Is faith involved in the use of the name? Obviously. Peter himself said, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. But you see, it should be a kind of faith that is unconscious. A faith that is born in us of evidences that convince us beyond a shadow of a doubt. When I woke up this morning, I didn't ask myself whether I had enough faith to get off the bed. Whether I had enough faith for my legs to hold the weight of my body. I didn't even think about it. But you know, it took some faith. When you were going to start your car, you didn't ask yourself whether you had enough faith to turn that key in the ignition and the car to move. You didn't. You didn't even think about it. Just turn the key and or press, put your finger, press the stuff, and the car started. Is faith involved? Yes, but it's unconscious. If we really understood the name of Jesus like we should, listen, we will do prodigies, exploits. You see, a stream of miracles flowed from the hands of the apostles that upset Judaism and shook the Roman government to its foundation. The apostles had made a discovery that the name of the man they had loved, they had seen nailed to that cross in nakedness, now has power equal to that which he exercised while they walked in the midst. See, there is a miracle hunger in the heart of universal man. Man craves the touch of the unseen. In the early church, the name of Jesus was their credential in miracles. That was their credential. Those Sadducees, you know, so sad they couldn't see, so far they couldn't see. Those Pharisees, they feared the name. They didn't mind them preaching about the resurrection. They didn't mind them teaching. But they said, look, don't use that name. Don't mention that name. The name of Jesus was the battle axe in the ministry of Paul. Amen. Jesus said, he will bear my name before the Gentiles. See, that is our name. Your head doesn't go by one name and your body another. His name is Jesus. We have a fourfold right to that name. Amen. First, we're born into the family. The name belongs to the family. Second, amen, we're baptized into Christ. Being baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his name. 
Third, we have the power of attorney to act in his stead, to act for him. Fourth, we are commanded to, as ambassadors, to herald that name among the nations. So the name of Jesus is ours. The name of Jesus is ours. The name of Jesus is ours. And in that name, if sickness tries to assault your body, you assault the sickness. You tell the devil, stop that. If it's a joke, stop it. Not here. Not my body. In the name of Jesus, I stand my ground. I stand my ground. And what's he going to do? He's going to scamper. He's going to flee. You see, yes, we've been made new creatures in Christ. Yes, we've been delivered from the authority of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. But you see, we still live in a world where the devil is God. The very atmosphere around about us is filled with hostile forces that will attempt to deprive us of our fellowship with the Father. Destroy our fellowship with the Father. Deprive us of our usefulness in the master's service. See, for this purpose, God has given us a weapon. Not only for our use, but for the use of the Satan-ruled men and women around us. And that weapon is the name of Jesus. And we can use it in demanding our rights. In demanding our rights. Tell your body, body, you line up in the name of Jesus, I am healed. And that's what's going to happen. If you'll demand anything as your right, as your privilege in my name, I will do it. Amen. See, Jesus is one with his name. He will do it. He's one with that name. He's his name. Jesus is his name. Amen. Well, the second method whereby healing can be obtained is actually through prayer. Praying to the Father in the name of Jesus. Praying to the Father in the name of Jesus. That's the second method. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto, hitherto is old English. It means up until now. Have ye asked nothing in my name? Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. See, that's another method for healing, prayer. Now, if you check in the Acts of the Apostles, you'll discover that they really never prayed for the sick, not one time. What they did really was just to demand that the sick be healed. The closest you see them come to praying for the sick was in Acts 28, where the Bible says Paul prayed and healed them. Well, we're not sure whether he really prayed for their healing or he just prayed to fellowship with the Father himself and then ministered healing. But you see, prayer is also valid for healing. When Jesus said, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, healing is something, isn't it? He said, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Can your joy be full when your body is racking with pain? Can your joy be full when your children are, can't go to school because they are sick? Can your joy be full when you have a death sentence in front of you? And as the clock ticks, it looks like you're getting closer and closer to your grave. Can your joy be full? You don't have children and you want to have. Your joy won't be full. Amen. So healing is something we can ask for. Besides, the Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that ye may be healed. So it's also scriptural to pray for healing. So you can ask the Father for your healing in the name of Jesus. And the Father will give it to you. Now notice Jesus said, and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. What day was he talking about? A Thursday? A Saturday? No. He was talking about the day of the new covenant. While Jesus was on the earth, you know, when Peter was walking on the water and he was beginning to sink, he could say, Master, 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 you know, save me. And Jesus saved him. You know, when they were in that ship, he could say, Master, carry us down not that we perish. They could ask him. But he was talking about a day will come when he won't be here physically. However, He's given us something that will take his place. And that's his name. In that day, you'll ask me nothing. What are you going to do in that day? Whatever you ask the Father, in my name. In my name. He will give it to you. You know, sometimes folks pray for Christ's sake. Now, don't pray for Christ's sake. It's not Christ that needs it. It's you that needs it. Praying for Christ's sake is not the same as praying in the name of Jesus. We are to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And then the Father will give it to us. So that's also scriptural. You can pray for healing based on John 16, 23 and 24. See, that charter promise 
is perhaps the most outstanding statement that ever fell from the lips of the man of Galilee. That we can actually use his name in prayer. <laughs> the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. That name guarantees us always with the Father. The name. So that's method number two. Well, number three. Third method is actually the prayer of agreement. The prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19 and 20. He said, again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, amen, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. See, when we gather in his name, he is there because he is in his name. The name represents him. If we will agree as touching anything, we will ask the Father here on earth, he will do it. He will do it. You can't get stronger than that. So the prayer of agreement is effective. Now, this is what I tell people. Now, let's say your uncle is sick. Are you listening? Many times, you now hear people that come, they come, agree with me that my uncle will be healed. Really? The prayer of agreement works a whole lot better when it's your uncle that comes to agreement. Listen. You can't force healing on somebody else. We had one of our graduates one time. His mother died. He called me. He said, my mother died. I said, whoa. He said, but I don't know why she died. I believed God for her to be healed. Then I asked him, what did she believe? Uh, she said she was ready to die. She was going to die. I said, glory to God. Her faith worked. See, you're not a witch. You're not a wizard. You're not going to manipulate somebody else's will. You can't force your desire on someone else. If what you want for that person is not what they want for themselves, it won't work. 2 Corinthians 1.24 He says, not that we have dominion over your faith, said, but we are helpers of your joy. He said, by faith ye stand. You can't control somebody else's will with your faith. I've heard cases several times. People will come to meet me. They will say, so and so is sick. I want you to minister to him. Well, I'll say, give him my number. Tell him to call me. The person never calls me. They want me to call the person. Well, I won't. Why? Because it won't work. He says, is any sick among you, let him who is sick call for the elders of the church. If they don't call, they don't want it. Let them put some effort. So, if prayer of agreement works, you are the one who needs the healing. Then I can agree with you. Sometimes I can do the believing. You can do the agreeing. It works a whole lot better when we are both believing and we are both agreeing. But look, even if you are not believing, I can do the believing. You just agree with me. I'm here on neutral gear. Don't disagree with me. Agree with me. You know, prayed with somebody one time. Finished praying. I asked the person, is it done? They said, well, I hope it is. I said, it's not. I'm believing you are hoping. There's no agreement. If two shall agree. He didn't say if two shall disagree. So we have to be in agreement about it. As touching anything, they shall ask the Father. Ask here on earth. If two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything, they shall ask. Amen. Are we in Pluto? No, the last I checked, it was still Earth. Not Mars, not Saturn. So we feel the bill. Are you listening? So we can ask in agreement. See, the Bible says, how should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? Deuteronomy 32.30 There is power, multiplied prayer power in agreement. Amen. You can be mighty in prayer, but find someone you can agree with. I've had people, they had been believing for their healing. The symptoms persisted. Then they came to me, let's agree that I'm healed. Then I agreed with them that they're healed. And they never had any symptom of it. It all cleared. Because we are in agreement. It multiplies our influence. Now sometimes people ask about laying on of hands. Let's say the person had re released his faith for his healing. And then there's now a prayer line. They say, can I still come in that prayer line? I tell them, well, it depends. There's one condition under which you can come. You see, a building that keeps laying its foundation will never be built. Once you have released your faith, let it stay released. You know what many people do? They spin their wheels in unbelief. They keep going out for prayer. They keep going out for prayer and trying to start. It's like, okay, we lay the foundation. Then after laying the foundation, then we come two weeks after, we break that foundation and lay the foundation. Then we lay the foundation. Then we lay the foundation. We keep laying the foundation. There will never be a building. Once... You have released your faith. Let it stay released. Now, if you've released your faith for your healing, you believe God for your healing, fine. 
Now, let's say there is now a prayer line and they're calling for the sick. You say, can I go? You can, under one condition. Before you come out, you say this. Well, I'm not going out there for him to pray for me afresh. I've prayed or have released my faith. I'm already in faith about it. I'm going so that he will agree with me that I am healed. Under that condition, you can come. Just so that the person will agree with you. And that's fine. That works. That works. There's a couple. They've been believing God for a child. Six years. Then, you know, I taught this same course. And um, they came for me to lay hands. It was May the 4th. Well, four days after, the lady took him. Exactly four days after. I carried that child earlier this year. child was born. Praise God. What made the difference? They were in faith. Their faith was already working, but I agreed with them. There's something about agreement. Praise God. That just makes us more effective. Amen. So I said, number one, ask in the name of Jesus. Number two, pray to the Father in the name of Jesus for your healing. Number three, the prayer of agreement. Agree with somebody. Amen. Number four, anointing with oil. Anointing with oil. And I'll make a, a few comments here. James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, is any sick among you? Well, that's already a message in itself. James having to ask whether there's any sick among us means there shouldn't be any sick among us. Is any, but just in case there is, you know, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, listen, it's not the elders that heal the sick. It's not the oil that heals the sick. It's the prayer of faith that heals the sick. The prayer of faith will walk with or without the elders. The prayer of faith will walk with or without the oil. And you can pray that prayer of faith just as much as anybody else can. Now, is it the oil that does it? The oil is just a symbol. Jesus actually never ministered with oil. He never did. You won't find one time he did. He didn't need to. You know why? He was already anointed with a tangible anointing of healing power which is what the oil is meant to symbolize. He already had it, so he didn't need oil. Now, in the New Testament, we see oil used. Oil was never used to separate people to the ministry in the New Testament. I don't do it, because it wasn't done. Oil was never used to appoint deacons. I don't do it. It wasn't done. I've learned to be silent where the New Testament is silent, and loud where it's loud. I know they used it in the Old Covenant, and that was fine then, because, you see, they lived under types and shadows. In the Old Covenant, that oil had to be prepared a certain way. And the oil in itself was special. If you touch that oil, when you shouldn't, you died. Because the oil in itself was sacred. The oil was a type of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has now come. If you're born again, he's living in you. Amen. So, should our faith be in oil? Listen, you can turn oil into a charm. Heard of somebody, thieves were in the neighborhood. What did he look for? He looked for his anointing oil. He said, yes, that oil is there. They won't come here. Ooh, how is it different from the man that went to my village and they gave him a broom and tied something on it and told him to put it in his house? That bottle of oil has become a charm. Are you listening? Listen, oil is not the Holy Spirit. Oil is not the Holy Spirit. If oil is the Holy Spirit, then fire is the Holy Spirit. If the anointing oil is the Holy Spirit in a bottle, then that AC is the Holy Spirit in a metal. Because wind is a type of the Holy Ghost. Just like the matchbox in your house. You know, in your kitchen, will be the Holy Ghost. Fire is a symbol, just like oil is a symbol. That's all it is. People have come to meet me, pray over this oil, you know, so that I said, for God's sake, why can't you just pray over your life? Oh, this oil is from Jerusalem. Oh, give it to me, I'll use it to fry some eggs. They'll be sweet. Don't make a God out of oil. Don't magnify things. Are you listening? I was with the minister one time. They were doing a dedication of a property. So then he took a bottle of oil and he poured it on the ground. I asked him, why did you do that? And then he responded. He said, well, because people have taken oil to an extreme, doesn't mean we should take it to another extreme and not use it at all. I thought to myself, he was an older minister and, you know, you respect your elders. But I just thought to myself, where, okay, to an extreme. What defines the extreme? What defines the boundaries of what is right? The New Testament should... We have two instances, only two. And if there's only two, then it means it's not so major. Where Jesus, where all was mentioned relative to ministering to the sick, 
The first was in Mark 6, 12 and 13, where the Bible says, the disciples anointed with oil, many that were sick, and healed them. They healed them. And then the other is this James 5, 14 and 15. The fact that we have two witnesses about it in the New Testament means that we can establish it. The fact that we have only two means that it's not a major method. So don't magnify it. Don't blow it out of proportion. Now, sometimes people have oil for promotion, oil for... It's hogwash. Are you listening? It's unnecessary. You are blowing... You get into trouble. I've learned to stay where the New Testament... I've learned to be silent where the New Testament is silent and loud where it's loud. Don't get out of the boundaries of the New Testament. It's just like water. I prayed over this water, my friend, and somebody calls it a faith extender. Listen, the problem with that is this. Somebody will come and bring salt. Somebody will come and bring sand. Eventually, somebody will come and bring hair. Eventually, somebody will come and say, this table, is the, this chair is the chair so and so sat on. Let's just chip it out. And then just take a chip and put it in your pocket. You won't have an accident. And then we'll become herbalists. Let's just stay within the confines of the Bible. The oil is not the deal. The oil is a symbol. It's a type that the Holy Spirit will come upon the person and will get the job done. You know, sometimes they say we have anointing service and then we pour olive oil on everybody. We stain their dresses. We, 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 some of them, they now can't see well because the oil enters their eyes and we mess up their lives. Sometimes we even drink it. Listen, it could damage your liver. It's poisonous drinking that stuff. Don't be stupid. Let's stay with the New Testament. With the New Testament. With the New Testament. Somebody said, but such and such says so. I don't know what such and such says, but I know what Jesus said. And I've learned to stay with the Bible. I've learned you can't go wrong staying with the Word. And I've learned never to magnify anybody above what is written. I love Kenneth E. Hagin. I love Pastor Hagin. And I'm committed to them. But listen, neither of them died for my sins. It was Jesus that did. Rhema, are we infallible? We're not. Nobody is infallible. The Word of God is infallible. So it's not a matter of what Brother Hagin said. It's a matter of what does the Bible say. Now, why am I using Brother Hagin? Because I believe in him. Amen. I trust him. But I'm telling you, it's what the Bible says. And I love Brother Hagin because Brother Hagin pointed me to the Bible. So it's about what does the Bible say? Are you still out there? Have you gone home? Well, say amen if you can. And if you can't, say, oh me. Amen. It's so anyhow. So anointing the sick with oil is another method. But please, with that method, don't make the oil. The oil is not the healer. Amen. It's the prayer of faith that will save the sick. It's the Lord that will raise him up. The oil does not take on, you know, doesn't become the Holy Spirit because the minister touched it. The oil is just oil. That's all it is. You know, there's no use, you know, people have come pray over this oil for me. I just say, why? Why don't you just speak God's word? Just as potent. Just as potent. You know, and somebody asked about handkerchiefs, and I'll get there in a bit. Now, is it scriptural to take handkerchiefs to the sick? Sure. I do that. Why do I do it? Because the healing power of God can be transmitted in cloth. It can. Now, I'm not talking about laying hands on something and just going in faith as a point of contact. I'm talking about a tangible anointing. Now, Jesus appeared to me. Are you listening? A number of times. One of the times he appeared to me, June the 1st of 1992, he caught me up to heaven. He had me to kneel down. I knelt. He laid his right hand on my head. Then he said to me, he said, I've called you specially and anointed you specially to do what I've called you to do. Then he said, now I want you to go in the strength of that call. Now, earlier on, January, January the 15th of 1989, in case you want to know, that was a Sunday, about 10 a.m. in the morning, I heard this still small voice speak up inside me. And what did it say? It said, there's an anointing on your hands to minister to the sick. I thought to myself, what's that? Then a minister walked up to me and said, the Lord told you such and such. You didn't want to take it seriously, but listen, he meant what he said. And he wants you to do something about it. He wasn't kidding about it. Well, later that year, March the 22nd, March the 22nd of 1989, in case you want to know, it was a Wednesday, about 25 minutes past 7 p.m. I can tell you what I was wearing. I was wearing a, a navy blue trouser, wearing a pink shirt, it was short sleeve. I can tell you exactly where I was. Amen. Those things don't grow old. Well, I heard that same voice inside me. And what did it say? It said, I've given you a ministry of laying on of hands. To lay hands on the sick and get them healed. And to lay hands on believers and get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Then, 1991. 1991, December. December the 5th. 
December the 5th of 1991, in case you want to know, it was a Thursday. About five minutes to midnight, I was wearing a blue shorts, khaki blue. Yeah, I was wearing a shirt, it was linen. It had some gray and it had some pink lines and boxes. I remember it vividly. Prior to that time, I sensed in my heart that the Lord wanted me to take some time out just to wait on him. So I did. Stayed without food for three days. Now, in case you want to know, the longest I've ever fasted in my life was three days. Always by the third day, I got the answer and I quit. You should have some sense about fasting. You can fast so much until you get to heaven very fast. Are you listening? Now, some people's bodies are suited for long fast. Some people's bodies are not. In some of these areas, we ought to have sense. Now, there are some things you fast for. Hmm? If you fast now this year, that may you live long this year, you actually might die this year. Because that's unbelief. Eh? You're fasting so that God will heal you. That's unbelief. You're fasting so that God will bless you. That's unbelief. He has already blessed you. Now, is this scripture out to fast? Yes. Are there some things you can fast about? Certainly. In the Acts of the Apostles, they fasted. Now, was the church ever instructed to fast? Not one time. Not one time. Not one time. I'll give you $10,000. If you can show me one time when the church was instructed to fast, you won't find it. No use searching. Was it implied? Yes. Paul said in fastings often. Now, in the Acts of the Apostles, did the early church fast? Yes, they did. In Acts 13, they were in the church that was in Antioch, sending prophets and teachers such as Barnabas, Lucius of Sarim, Mani, and brother of Herod the Tetrarch, Simon, that was also called Niger, and Saul, says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, so to minister to the Lord is good to fast, just to praise God, just to worship Him. And I do that a lot, just to seek Him and just stay off food. Amen. Then when they were going to separate Barnabas and Saul, they fasted laid hands on them, they separated them to the ministry. When I'm going to do that too, sometimes I skip a meal or two, just to wait on the Lord some. Then when Paul's physical life was in danger, in Acts 27, there was long abstinence. They stayed away from food. Yes, is it good to seek God like that? It's okay. But some fasts are stupid, 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 unnecessary. Yeah, I know I'm kicking over sacred cows, and they may just as well be shouting, man, mo, ma, mo. Let them keep shouting, glory to God. I'll keep preaching. Amen. Don't shout me down now, because I'm preaching real good. Amen. We've made religion out of things. Now, am I against fasting? I'm not. But I'm just saying we should have a balance in some of these things. The flesh likes either this extreme... Eat until you become a, a, a hog, you know? Or like the other extreme, fast until you die. You know, fasting for power. Stupid to fast for power. Bible says you receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Amen. Fasting so that God will bless you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But it's okay to wait on the Lord. I'm, I just needed to throw that in. Now, the longest I've ever fasted, like I said, is three days. Always by the third day, I got my answer and I quit. But I've gone for months, taking only one meal a day. Are you listening? I learned that it's better just to live a fasted life rather than have days and periods of fasting. Not to never eat all you want to. Now, does fasting change God? It doesn't. He's the same before you fast, when you're fasting, when you get through fasting. Who does fasting change? It changes you. Now, this is Nigeria. We like settlement. We like egunje. We like to say to everybody that we carry over the same mentality. God, another year has come. Take, oh, this is my fast. Bless me this year. Let this don't happen to me this year. And we're trying to say to him, let's stop that. Amen. Let's keep it in the right context. Well, I was led just to take some time off and wait on him, which I did. Then the third day of that fast was December the 5th. First day I talked in tongues like 12 hours. Second day I talked in tongues 15 hours. Third day I talked in tongues about 19 hours. See, I read in my Bible one time where Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, naturally, naturally, in my natural makeup, I have a very competitive personality. If you're in the same class with me, you won't beat me. Forget it. You know, I'm just like that. But I don't carry that over into ministry because we're not competitors. We're co-laborers. You know, when I read where Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, I just thought to myself, when we get to heaven, I don't want Paul to be able to say this anymore. Just a thought. You know, some people get provoked. So-and-so has such a jet. I want to have a bigger jet. And if you want to have a jet, it's your problem. Not mine. If you like it, after all, my money did not disappear from my account when you bought it. So it's not my problem. Praise God. If you need it, praise God. Then get it. But what about provoking one another unto love and good works? 
What about provoking one another, encouraging one another? Oh, how many books have you read this year? How many times have you read through the New Testament this year? You know, let's encourage one another to serve God, to seek the things of God. See, there's a generation that is here that they just want to be slay queens and slay mamas. And all they want to do is to just be posting on Instagram and showing their butt and showing their, uh, their whatever. You know, but what about us getting back into the things of God? Provoking one another about the things of God. Getting serious about prayer. Getting serious about the word. Amen. Well, third day, about 19 hours. And listen, that wasn't the longest I've talked in tongues. I've talked in tongues longer. But then that third day, five minutes to midnight exactly, that same voice spoke up. And this is what it said. From this night onwards, what is known in my word as the gift of faith, together with the descending of spirits, when you are in the spirit, will be in very strong oppression in your life. And that tangible anointing you minister under will come back to stay and it will be a hundred times stronger. Well, that's exactly, I quoted it word for word. Amen. When I heard that, I thought to myself, a hundred times, Baba God, you know, it's like, that's exaggerated. A hundred times. Now, before, I used to feel that anointing. I feel it from the time the Lord spoke to me in 1989, January. I feel it in my hands. Sometimes I'll be more conscious of it in one hand than the other. And then I'll lay hands on people and I'll feel it flow into them. Well, the very next day, December the 6th, it was a Friday. For some reason, I ended up having no appetite. So I virtually prayed the whole day. Went for a prayer meeting. The church I attended then had a prayer meeting in the evening. Started at 6.30. About 7.45 that evening, as I was standing praying, just praying in other tongues, something happened that was interesting. It felt like somebody threw a cloak, a mantle around me. Now, a mantle is not a handkerchief. A mantle is a loose outer covering, like an overcoat. I felt like someone threw it on me. And then it wore, it was my exact size. It fitted me, wrapped around my head, wrapped around my neck, wrapped around my chest, wrapped around my legs, just wrapped around me. I felt like, what's this? And then the next thing, I had a sensation of something creepy. Now, somebody says... Why are you saying that? Well, because if I don't say it, it won't work. And I found the bolder I am to say, the more the results I get. And because I'm going to be ministering that way in the uh, third hour, that's why I'm preparing you, so you'll be ready to receive. Well, then I felt something creepy on the inside of me, like something was just moving inside me. I was wondering, what's this? Some odd-shaped thing, just moving. There was a substance of something that came into my spirit. I felt it on the inside. I stopped praying. I sat down. What's going on? Both my elbows were bent like they are right now. I felt something. It fell. It fell from up. It hit my right elbow first. Then it hit my left elbow next. And then the next thing that happened was this. From my shoulder blades to my palms on both hands, I had this sensation like there were tubes. And I felt this thing like liquid electricity. Liquid electricity. Listen, it was so strong, my teeth rattled. My eyes tingled. I had a shout, Lord, turn it off. Turn it off. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. It was strong. It was what he talked about the previous day. I said, oh, you meant it after all. Yeah, he meant it. If he said it, he meant it. Amen. Listen, I can't heal a fly. I'm as human as they get. Full of imperfections. Full of frailties. There's nothing special to me. I'm dust and ashes in the flesh. But listen, it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. It's Jesus who is the healer. It's Jesus who is the healer. He's the healer, not me. He uses men. And I just, I'm guilty. I'm a man. Amen. And if God wanted to use me in a special way, he didn't need your permission to do it. Amen. You're not the head of the church. He is. Praise God. Listen, if you will believe that I'm anointed, and you'll receive that anointing, that power will flow from my hands into your body. It'll drive out whatever sickness or disease. It'll affect the healing and a cure in you. Now, I've seen cancer get healed this way. I've seen blind eyes pop open this way. I've seen deaf ears pop open this way. I've seen them coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. I've even seen the dead come back to life this way. Amen. Am I the one that did it? No, I didn't. Jesus did it. He takes all the glory. It takes all the honor. Amen. Well, we're going to have a break. Amen. Shortly, you'll hear some more instructions about that. And then there's going to be another session where we'll still teach. We're not done with what we're talking about, about seven important things we should know about divine healing. We'll wrap that up. 
And then at the end of that, we will lay hands on the sick. Now, if you need hands laid on you for healing, this is what I want you to do. I want you to start saying it. Hands will be laid on me this afternoon and I will be healed. Start saying that. Start saying that. The woman with the issue of blood, the Bible says, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. The Greek actually says, for she continued to say, for she continued to say. You see, she took her healing without Jesus' permission. Yeah, she took her healing without Jesus' permission. Amen. She released her faith. So I'm saying that to help prepare you. This is one of the methods, and I was about getting into it, about the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands can be done from two perspectives. First, as a point of contact, any believer can lay hands on the sick. And second, from the standpoint of the law of contact and transmission. You see, the healing anointing is a tangible substance. It's a heavenly materiality. It not only heals, it also delivers and drives out demons. It's tangible. It's perceptible to the touch. Now, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost. So gifts of the Spirit manifested through him. But Jesus was also anointed with healing power. Now, is the healing anointing the same as gifts of healings? It's not. They are two different things. Gifts of healings are as the Spirit of God wills. Amen. And it has nothing to do with your faith. The healing anointing is different. A minister can be anointed to heal. Like a minister can be anointed to teach. A minister can be anointed to preach. Now, your faith has something to do with that anointing being released in your direction. And it will work anytime. Now, the laying on of hands will work when nothing else will work. Mark 6, 5, And Jesus could there do no mighty work, except that he laid hands on a few sickly folks with minor ailments and healed them. The Bible says, And he marveled because of their unbelief. So it's just a method. Now, does laying on of hands heal? No, it doesn't. It's just a method to receive healing. What heals? Redemption. Our healing was provided in redemption. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we were healed about 2,000 years ago. All these things we are talking about are just methods whereby we can receive healing. It's just like someone tells you the way to get money is to use an ATM. Well, you better have an account in that bank. And you better have money inside that account. And you better let that ATM card be yours. Well, the way to get money is just to write a check. Well, better make sure it's your checkbook. And better make sure the signature is correct. So, you see, the money has to first be in the bank. Jesus put the money in the bank 2,000 years ago. So we cannot talk about, you can use an ATM, you can write a check, you can go over the counter, you can do wire transfer, you can use the app of your bank. These are just methods to obtain what has already been purchased. So the basis of divine healing is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's not your works. No, somebody says, well, I want to sow a seed for my healing. Keep your seed. Don't sow a seed for your healing. You can't buy your healing. Jesus bought it 2,000 years ago. Now, is it scriptural to give? Sure. Do we take offerings? Certainly. Is that scriptural? Certainly. But listen, you can't buy your healing. Anybody encouraging people to sow for healing is just lying. He might not mean to, but he's just lying all the same. Whether he means so, he doesn't mean to, it's not correct. You can't sow for a healing. You can't sow for, you know, is there a law of sowing and reaping? My God, there is. The Bible teaches it. But let's stay within the boundaries of the Bible. Don't let's go to this ditch on this side. And where we want to sow for everything. Sow so that you can be saved. Sow so that you can live long. Sow so that, you know, you won't die tomorrow. Sow so that, you know, God will favor you. Sow so that, oh, that's stupid. On the other end, well, we don't need to sow. We don't need to give. That's just as stupid. The Bible teaches giving and receiving. But let's keep it in the right context. Amen. Praise the Lord. 